Chattanooga Civics is sponsored by Relax Tax. Getting your taxes done by a real person is way better than using an automated website, but it can be hard to find time to actually meet with an accountant. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a fully virtual tax preparation service called Relax Tax by Sagan Financial Group. Just submit your tax information safely and securely online to be reviewed and processed by one of their tax specialists. No unnecessary appointments, phone calls completely on your schedule. And best of all, listeners of Chattanooga Civics get 10% off Relaxed Tax by Sagan Financial Group. Just go to relaxedtax.com. That's R-E-L-A-X-E-D-T-A-X.com and use coupon code CIVICS in the client intake form. Sagan Financial Group is a local Chattanooga business, and part of the proceeds will go directly to supporting this show. I'll put a link in the show notes, but again, that coupon code is CIVICS for 10% off relaxed tax by Sagan Financial Group. I would also like to thank my Patreon sponsors for supporting this show, especially the Marks family and Stephen Culp. And if you're interested in supporting the show, you can find out more at patreon.com slash chat civics. So Brian Smith, B-R-I-A-N-S-M-I-T-H, and Communications Director with Chattanooga Parks and Outdoors. Scott Barton, Administrator, Chattanooga Parks and Outdoors. Awesome. Thank you guys for sitting down with me. I just want to start with a really big, open-ended question. What are parks? What are they for? Why are they important? <laughs> you start with the, uh, the big one. All right. A park, to get to the scientific definition, is a piece of public realm that is used for the particular purpose of building community, healing nature, allowing us to live in harmony and health with one another. Uh, that's a big, big, huge statement. The American experience of a public park is worth calling out, and sometimes we forget this. This strange concept of the people owning these lands is really an American invention in most respects. There were king's lands in London. The ancient Islamic communities had a great tradition of gardens. The Chinese uh, cultures, Asian cultures had the same culture. Uh, spirit of gardens, but they were obviously from patronage and from kingdoms. America said, no, these are the people's lands and these are the public's lands. And I think most of us know the Ken Burns series where we say the national parks were our greatest idea. Um, I would uh, respectfully suggest to Mr. Burns that the national parks were an offshoot of the American city park, which was actually our first great idea uh, from, you know, obviously the commons in Boston. Mm -hmm. uh, the first American parks were in Savannah and Charleston. The South invented these things. Um, so I think we've got a great tradition of these landscapes that define what it means to live in an American city. Awesome. Well, with that in mind, you are fond of saying, let's make Chattanooga a city in a park. So what does that mean? How do we get there? If we think for a second, um, I think, and maybe this is a midlife crisis, so I'll own that just as well, <laughs> uh, of anything. I think we've siloed ourselves, particularly in local government, many times into these finite individual decisions. And we watch ourselves get in these tight networks, be it a zoning decision, be it, a, in my world of parks and rec, a, a specific sport group wants to get its facility built. And, and we do that because we're just so hyper-focused on our own selves that my fear is that we've lost the narrative. And the narrative has always been with our industry when we do it right, is we shape cities rather than let the city shape us. And the idea, the provocation is it would be a city in a park, which Brian came up with and coined, 
is intentionally a provocation of thinking about the whole city, not just the 1,400 acres we manage, but everything is contributing to a lifestyle that supports healthy living, healthy aging, safer communities, cleaner air, cleaner water. And what does that mean if we go as broadly out as possible? You know, and I'll kind of say to that, uh, you know, education does go a long way of what we have within our city limits. And it's amazing to be able to open up the eyes and let folks know the, the canoeing opportunities that we have at Greenway Farm, the mountain biking opportunities we have at Stringer's Ridge, a mile from downtown Chattanooga. Uh, and the list continues to go on. And while we continue to develop, while we continue to grow, it's just a reminder that you know, the beautiful places and the unique spots that we do have, even right within your street as well. The creatures that are within our our landscape, the two deer that I saw that were walking down by Chattanooga Whiskey the other day. I mean, it, they all exist uh, and we're trying to coexist together. But there's also a respect uh, part of this as well, because we're thankful for the natural amenities that we do have within our city and surrounding our city, too. So when you think of it, it is just one big giant park. And if we think about our childhood, how many of us grew up playing stickball on the street? How many of us rolled the basketball hoop or made the, you know, the wooden ramps for our bikes to jump on our city street? When I was a kid, I didn't think of park versus road versus sidewalk, I, whatever. What I was trying to do is just have a great life. And I think if we think of ourselves and our cities that way, it will help all of us start, you know, provoking some important discussions about what does it mean to have a city that's a cool and fun place to live. So... As a, as a user and as a citizen, that makes a lot of sense to me and, and excites me, the idea of the whole city as kind of a unified, uh, as a park, as something to be enjoyed as a whole. Um, and, and again, as a user, that just really is an exciting prospect. As an administrator, as uh, somebody who's in charge of actually making this happen, how do you start to break down those silos to get outside of, you know, we're the Parks and Outdoors Department to, and we have jurisdiction over these designated parcels of land that you can find on a GIS map. How do you, how do you broaden that scope and start talking about how do our parks interact with our roads? How do they interact with our zoning code? How do they interact with, uh, you know, all the other departments that are part of the city? Yeah, great question. <coughs> Um, the answer to that is the National Park City provocation. We think that, and, and the point there is to have a story that everyone can hold on to. And we come up with a common vocabulary as a community about what, what does it mean to live here? Why, mm-hmm. why is it special? Why is it bluntly better to live in Chattanooga than perhaps some other cities? And that's the vocabulary we're trying to build that allows us to get beyond silos. Look, my job as administrator means I spend an enormous amount of hours a week focused on those 1,400 acres we steward, uh, and, the, uh, I think we had 88,000 golfers who come to our golf facilities and all the, all the different pieces we matter. And they're great. And we, we spend our time there. But none of us that are delivering those services think the benefits of those services should stop where those walls are. They mm-hmm. should stretch further. Mm-hmm. And so we try to keep two hours a day free where we push out and we say, how do we reach out and bring more people in? And how do we have the people that are enjoying those reach out and extend those benefits as well? We, um, we're, I love local government. And um I, I'll, folks won't know this, but I started my career in the National Park Service. And I had a great mentor in the National Park Service when I, I was all, I was the mounted ranger, uh, which is, you know, one of those great jobs that you're so lucky to have and you know it when you have it. And I was about to go become the full-time National Park Service employee. And the superintendent pulled me aside 
and he gave me the best advice I ever had. He said, Scott, because, um, look, I, you know, I support you. And, and the National Park Service is a, a tremendous organization. He's a lifelong, he's a lifer in it. His superintendent some sites you would know. But he said, but at the end of the day, I still believe the biggest difference you can make is at the local government or the nonprofit place is where the edge needs to be done. And what was driving him to say that was the fact that 70% of city, 70% of America lives in cities. If you're going to touch people's lives with green spaces, with recreation, with health, you're going to do it in the cities. And if you're going to do it in the cities, the best place to do it is in local government because you, you, you aren't hit with silos. You're hit with opportunities every door you open. <laughs> it's the questions of which ones, which imaginations you can unlock, which partnerships you can open up. When you come into that spirit, uh, you can do so, so much good in local government. So I guess I'm the character from Parks and Rec um, <laughs> that believes uh, to this day that we have so much potential and so much i just have so much optimism for what um we can do as cities when people gather together and work through nonprofit partnerships through through agencies or just through collaboration yeah so you mentioned (coughs) you mentioned that idea of a national park city i don't want to spend a lot of time talking about that because that's a big idea and it's it's received a little bit of news coverage but i want to back up first and kind of define what we're working with already. What do we already have? So let's start with just some technical questions. How many parks do we have? And you already mentioned uh, 1,400 acres mm-hmm. of parks. How many parks is that 1,400 acres? 81 parks. 81 parks. And what different <coughs> what different types of parks are there in those 81 parks? Okay. And because I love this podcast, now I get to fully nerd out. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm getting it. over a cold. So allow me to call. Yes. Okay, so the important thing to do is always think of parks, recreation, everything we do is city infrastructure. Um, if you do it right, it's an infrastructure that serves as a system and can deliver the same benefits as equitably and as functionally as a sewer system or water system. It's all about deployment. For us in parks, it starts with a very simple scale. We start at the micro level, which is, of course, neighborhood parks. The foundational backbone of any city are neighborhood parks. Curious enough, in fairness, Chattanooga has the weakest backbone of any city I've worked in. We have a phenomenal shortage of these neighborhood parks. There's a reason. There are a lot of reasons for that. But we are an unusual city in that we don't have this network of traditional neighborhood parks spread equitably across our city. Above neighborhood parks, you have community parks. Community parks serve larger communities, as you can imagine. But that's when you start getting into auto-driven communities, where you use a car to get around, you use sports to get around. So they are, are larger. A neighborhood park, maybe three to five acres in size. Community park, maybe about 10 to 15 acres in size. And that's where you start seeing lighted ball fields and things like that. Next level up from there for us in Chattanooga are what we call signature parks. Signature parks are Ross's Landing, Coolidge Park. These are the places that our entire community comes together. They have outsized influence in terms of branding a community. They have outsized care because they are very much um, maintained to a higher degree of standard because they are asked to respond to intense public use mm-hmm. and, and frequent public use. You have to hit those hard. It's kind of the metaphor would be those are our central parks. We've introduced an additional category now called Urban Ecology Preserves for the first time. In the Parks and Outdoors System Plan, we quickly realized, like anyone does live in Chattanooga, uh, there are a couple things we have here. One, we have pollen, uh, and the second is we have wildlife everywhere, and then we have cultural heritage on top of that because of 12,000 years of human settlement. We've now created a whole new category of parks called Urban Ecology Preserves. Stringer's Ridge is one. And those areas are set aside for the benefits that they deliver culturally, uh, environmentally, urban heat island, all that sort of stuff. And then uh, finally, beyond that, we have the greenways and the blueways. And folks know those, of course, as Riverwalk, uh, the blueway on South Chick, 
um, and the Tennessee River. And those are our linear pathways that knit our communities together and ultimately knit the park sites together. And then one final category, which is kind of a catch-on, I'm kind of cheating, but you got to do it. We have what's called special use parks. A special use park is exactly what it means. It doesn't fit into another box, but you got to have them. Summit of Softball, special use park. Chat Town Skate Park, special use park. So these are individualized facilities that serve a particular nuanced use. You develop those acknowledging that use may be only enough to supply your whole community, so you just do it at one location. Mm -hmm. So you layer all those together, neighborhood, uh, community, signature, urban ecology preserves, and special use. And that's the system of parks that you wanted to deploy. The POP adopted those standards for the first time in Chattanooga when it was adopted unanimously. And now we're going to build a system around that, fill in those gaps. And that's how you begin to get Chattanooga with an accessible, usable, well-loved, well-cared-for um, well park system. So I was really interested to hear about the urban ecology preserves and especially Stringers Ridge because when I came when I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking Stringers Ridge is a bit of an outlier. Uh -huh. Looking at all the different parks we have, mm -hmm. you know, the special use parks, they stand out. It's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. It's a bunch of ball fields in a circle. There's not much you can do there except play ball. Uh, you know, the skate park. Again, mm -hmm. you can go hang out. You can watch people skate, but it's centered around one specific yep. activity. And then the neighborhood and community parks are, are also pretty obvious. I think that line probably gets a little blurry sometimes, yeah. but... You know, it's the park that you walk to or the closest one that you drive to. Um, but that urban ecology preserve, Stringer's Ridge, the reason I was thinking about this is because I think Stringer's Ridge, I think hiking and mountain biking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think about the use first, but you're defining it as an urban ecology mm -hmm. tool. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, first of all, what other urban ecology preserves do we have, if any, in the city? Yeah, good question. Uh, we're about to have two. Um, we have evaluated all of the city-owned lands across the city, and we've identified about 580 acres of city-owned land right now that is ostensibly not being managed for anything. And we are going to start bringing to council the setting aside of those areas as urban ecology preserves over the next year. Think of it as kind of the Antiquities Act. When you hear the president say, this is now a National Historic Landmark or a mm -hmm. National Historic Monument, same move for Mayor Kelly and council. They're going to be able to call out these areas and set them aside for their cultural, aesthetic um, uh, forestry, ecosystem, ecosystem function deals. Those will begin to become the foundations of our urban ecology preserve system. Not saying that you don't have urban ecology benefits within your other parks, because right. you do. Greenway Farms, obviously, even though it's a signature park, it delivers much of that urban ecology functionality. And if we do it right, even our neighborhood parks, our smallest parks, We'll have urban ecology uh, functions and services mm -hmm. that they deliver through the tree species we collect, uh, we select, the, the management techniques we deploy for wetlands, riparian corridors, uh, all the way down to when do we let dogs be on leash or off leash based on what's, what bird is or animal is, is raising its young. So it, it works within a system, but you're going to see us begin to deploy those. And knock on wood, if we're lucky, and city council has said, hit the, you know, hit the, hit the pedal, we're going to create 500 acres of permanently protected urban ecology preserves across the city, celebrating the most unique biodiverse city, I believe, in North America, which is Chattanooga, Tennessee, nanner, 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 to all those other folks out there. So as these parks are designated for urban ecology, how do you balance then uh, the, the, the quieter, yeah. behind-the-scenes public benefit that we get from cleaner air, uh, you know, 
better environment for our wildlife, things like that, those behind the scenes benefits and how do you balance that with the more active use like Stringer's Ridge that people use all the time for <coughs> hiking and mountain biking? Yeah, that's just good. You'll do a land management plan for each site. So every site needs its own master plan. And that's led by our natural areas managers, as well as Blythe Blaley and our planning team. Mm-hmm. And they'll go on to the site. And um, we use a technique from a guy named Tom Wessels, who read a, uh, wrote a famous book called Reading the Forested Landscape. And what it is is about walking the land before you take over the lands and understand the stories that are out there, understand the, the evolution of the process of the land out there. And then you try to figure out what's the best management technique to deploy. Right. <coughs> all right. So how accessible are all of our parks? And and not just in terms of when you get their accessibility through kind of a ADA, very technical, prescriptive lens, but how accessible <coughs> are they to get to the park once you're there, what kind of activities can you take part in, et cetera? Yeah. So on the largest level possible, Chattanooga um, has what we call a park score, which is the accessibility of parks. Uh, that shows us about 33 to 35% of our community lives within accessible distance of a park. It's not a 10-minute walk. It's accessible because we're a very horizontal city, mm-hmm. so we spread out. So we don't work like a Minneapolis or San Francisco. It's a tight grid. We, we allow for, for our suburban lifestyle, our suburban development pattern. So we're at about 35 or 35%. The national average, 55%. And this always surprises people. And surprised me when I took the job here. Chattanooga, for its outsized reputation in the outdoors, in this great deal, is actually lagging our peer cities in terms of public access mm-hmm. for public parks. We're actually right now 480 acres short on where we should be for public lands for a city our size. Not a city like ours culturally, emotionally, physically, and um, relationally in terms of we really use our outdoors more than a lot of cities, uh, but just cities our size, which mm-hmm. is surprising. Projecting ahead, and this is where we always want to go to. We want to go, you know, skate to where the puck is going to be sort of stuff. We're 1,100 acres short of where we need to be in terms of park acres for what will be needed in 2050. So we've got work to do today. And every day we don't acquire parkland, we get a little bit further behind. Mm -hmm. What is the reason for that shortfall, I guess, in in your opinion? Because I can think, based on some other things that we've already talked about, of a couple different reasons that we're in that position. But why do you see that? It's it, it's no secret. I think it's uh, it's experienced across the United States. Is um, at some point, um, and there's no good guy or bad guy in this stuff. It's just the way land use works. Is that when cities started to expand post World War II, the amount of thought that was put into green spaces uh, started to recede or pivoted, and it became uses. I, I build sports complexes. Mm-hmm. I build high school uh, grounds that have a lot more space. As opposed to the earlier 1800s with the Olmsted and Vall and Nolan and everyone else, where they were dealing with a smaller landscape and had to pay much more attention to green within those blocks and those mm-hmm. grids. So I think I think we have that. I I think part of it, uh, bluntly, and and our mayor encouraged us to tell the truth, is for 12 years this city did not have a a fully stood up parks and rec department per se that was advocating for adding parklands on the edge, brought a plan forward. Now we had. Great partners. The Trust for Public Lands kept the torch alive in the city and continues in many powerful ways. And without them, the South Chick Trail doesn't exist. So many things don't exist. But there was a generation of, um, of just not a lot of activity in terms of planning for growth on our edges um, and leaning into that space. So <coughs> you've mentioned this shortfall. We've got a lot of work to do. How much are we spending right now? on our parks and outdoors programs and how much do you think we need to be spending to catch up with 
you know, the rest of the country? Yeah, good question. Uh, spending, I always caution folks on. Spending doesn't really always connotate value. Mm-hmm. Uh, spending is an input. I'm more interested in the outputs. Mm-hmm. So I'm keen on acres, not how much we have to spend to go get it. I'm keen, you know, there can be donations and partnerships. we got a lot of tools at our disposal um, that can work and have to work. Um, but to, to give you kind of a, a case example, we measure ourselves against peer cities, and we are at about 43 bucks per capita in spending for parks uh, and, and rec. Um, just to give some comparison, um, a city like Des Moines, Iowa, I believe it's $72 per capita. Fort Collins, Colorado is about $150 per capita. Huntsville, Alabama, I think is about $68, $65, $68. So uh, we are lagging. Uh, we're lagging our peers. Um but that's not the only measure. That can be a very false measure. I'm not racing someone to spend the most money. That's not the goal. The point is to have a system that people love and use and deploy every partnership you've got to get there. So that, that kind of answers the question. The um, <clears throat> We're looking at a lot of funding strategies. Um, I just had the good fortune to go with the uh, mayor, um, and we went met with Governor Lee, and mayor made a full-throated pitch uh, for, for state investment in green spaces in Chattanooga, for folks that don't know. Um, the, the thinking is parks are infrastructure, um, health is infrastructure. (laughs) So if the state of Tennessee and its wisdom says, you know what, we need to invest half a billion dollars to keep the Titans in Nashville and $250 million in Memphis to keep the Grizzly happy. The case the mayor made to the governor was, well, we got a little different offer for you in Chattanooga. We think the state should invest in our green spaces and our parks. Oh, and by the way, in 20 years, those parks and green spaces are not going to hold you hostage as they threaten to leave you again. <laughs> They're actually just going to be hitting their their throes as being a really good place to live. And the governor, to his credit, said that it's the most straightforward argument I've heard about what Chattanooga is in a long, long time. You want to be the you don't want to be the biggest. You want to be the best, and you want to be the best place to raise a family. And you do it through a city that thoughtfully deploys your natural assets, your cultural assets, your art, your recreation to achieve it. Um, and so the discussion has begun, but we, the, it was encouraging a, to hear the mayor and I've been doing this work now <clears throat> for too many years. It was the most full throated, um, heartfelt push I've heard a mayor give in my life for pu- the value of public parks. Mm-hmm. Um, and to watch a governor respond to that likewise was also encouraging. So I'm going to set up a, a bit of a devil's advocate of position here for a second and, and just ask you what, what would you say? <coughs> To the person who maybe has not used a park in a decade, mm-hmm. they they don't care about going to the park. They spend their time elsewhere. They're they're really caring about taxes and what they see is yeah. as infrastructure. People have started to kind of understand that infrastructure is more than just the roads and the pipes. But somebody who who wants low taxes and who wants functioning traditional infrastructure, how how do you sell this to them? Well, if you want low taxes, the best way to get that is to have a community that's healthy, uh, that's safe, uh, that's connected. That keeps your yeah. public costs down. That keeps a lot of things down. You're going to pay one way or the other. I got bad news. <laughs> um, but you can pay a lot less if you're there building a, a nice place to live mm-hmm. is step one. Step two, I always tell everyone is, look, um, go to anyone's Facebook page right now. Anybody's Facebook page and look at their photo or their photos. Tell me it's not a picture of Coolidge Park. Somewhere in a photo of someone from Chattanooga, hitting a knee, getting proposed to, having that moment. And that matters and that's okay. And it's worth spending money on this stuff because these parks are the are the stage upon which our lives are lived. Mm-hmm. And and no one apologizes for that. I have yet in my whole career to hear someone say, wow, building that park was a real mistake. <laughs> 
I have I have yet to hear one to say building that park today would have been a better idea than building it 20 years ago because it you know costs more now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never heard that, and I've worked in the most Republican and Democrat cities. Everyone wants to live somewhere that's pretty. Everyone thinks you have a right to have these great public, safe places that are beautiful to go to and enjoy. And I think it's one of those rare spaces, if I can be Pollyannish, where the right and the left still meet, where you still find the safe space that folks go, you know what, I want to live somewhere pretty and doggone nice. Um, and, and then the question is, how do we figure it out? How do you pay for it? How do you prioritize it? Those are all ongoing, always never ending discussions, but they're really important ones to have because we need to ask ourselves over and over and over again, what does, what city do I want Chattanooga to look like at 2050? Because mm-hmm. the decisions we make today are what are going to shape that. And I, I mean, I'm the park guy, but I, I just find parks and green infrastructure to be the thing that unless you choose to do it, it's not going to happen accidentally. Um, Bruce Wayne isn't going to drop out of the sky and philanthropically give it to you. You're going to find a way to get it done together. And communities that do, um, I think I said this in my first interview, I'm talking too much about myself, but my life, my lived experience in Boise shaped me. My dad was a local government administrator in Virginia and I, and, and, and I watched him get all excited, um, for economic development. And I knew it was a big deal for dad when the governor was flying in the helicopter and the cardboard check was going to come out. We were going to announce so many jobs. And I, and I, and dad, yeah, I'm going to say he didn't appreciate parks the way that, that I do. He had a different lens. Well, I lived in Boise, Idaho for 20 years and or 10 years and watched the city did not do economic development incentives. It did not pay companies to come there. It invested those dollars in green spaces, great schools, safe streets, and said businesses and people will choose to come here. Mm-hmm. And that just to me to this day feels like such a better bet. If you bet on yourselves, invest in yourselves, the rest will generally take care of itself. Um, and I've watched it just time and time and time again. And, you know, Olmstead said it is, is he said it over and over and over again to us. And, and you look at Central Park in New York as the best example. Manhattan is not somewhere you could raise a family without Central Park. And if you can't raise a family in Manhattan, Manhattan ceases to exist as a place to do business. Mm-hmm. It's foundational work that we do. And Chattanooga, more than any other city I know of in the American South, because every other city is copying us now, <laughs> proved that when it built Ross's Landing, the Riverwalk, the generation that made the decision here when steel industry declined to mm-hmm. say, nope, we're not doubling down on that. We didn't put a Harris Teeter right on the waterfront. We built parks and public green spaces. And what it did for the city was transformational. Yeah. And I'm going to throw a little something else, too. Um, you know, when it comes to government, you know, we're doing what we can, but supporting your local park as well. And not talking financial support, but just being an advocate for your park. Um, you know, having people use their parks, coming out of their house and walking down this to the park. And, you know, through our park stewardship program, through just people being out and taking those pictures and being a voice, um, you know, that goes a very long way as well. And for the longest time when there wasn't really a voice from Chattanooga speaking for the parks, now we've kind of opened up that communication. The pictures are being shared. As Scott had mentioned, you know, we're, we're very Instagrammable and everything else, too. But, you know, that support goes a long way. We've seen our volunteer hours jump up. We've had over 2,000 volunteer hours last year. And that saves the city some $58,000 just by volunteers coming out and helping plant trees. Uh, you know, we are out there securing grants. We have people that are writing grants or, or finding even grants that say, you know, could this work in my park? We've even been able to secure some to get brand new playgrounds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the neighborhoods are speaking, the neighbors are speaking, and to do more of that. You know, the city's got a lot of things that we want to improve, and it goes even beyond parks. But just having those speakers for those local parks that say, you know what, I care about this green space. 
What can I do to help out? What can I do to to lead that charge? And if it's not financial, can I just come and have an event there? Can I come out and, you know, have a, a cleanup day? Can I, you know, just bring my family out there and encourage more families to come out there? And one thing that we've been trying to do is getting out to more and more of our local parks and having events in our local parks and saying, this is what y'all can do as well. Come on out here. Have a great time out here, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll be there to support and got to fix a few things. We're, we're there as well. So I think that's a really big part of it, too, that just supporting. We're, we're going to grow. We're going to continue to uh, you know expand and to get a bigger city. But more and more people coming here and moving here because of parks. But the people that live here have a great voice, too. Yeah. Something that has a phrase that has been used multiple times throughout this interview that I think it just rolls off the tongue so e- easily that we we say it and we don't think about it, actually what it means. But we've said, walk to your neighborhood park, walk to the park. And I'm curious um, what the analysis looks like on and we talked about, you know, how many people uh, mm-hmm. I think you said 35 percent are within accessible distance. Mm-hmm. But what does that actually look like? Can people walk to the park safely and and what does your coordination look like with uh, the division of transportation to actually make sure these places are accessible, that people can fall in love with them to the point where they can just it make them part of their daily life? It's not something where I have to get in the car and drive across town to go to my park because that as somebody with three kids trying to get three kids into car seats and out the door. Sometimes you think it's just not worth it. Yeah. We'll just play in the backyard. Yeah. The answer is it's mixed, but you have to deploy all the tools you have at hand to make that happen. So not only is it about distance. Um, I don't know if folks have uh, been around Chattanooga very long, but we have, uh, we have a few hills. So there's some uh, topography and rivers that also uh, can provide some barriers. So the key is <clears throat> work every angle you've got. Uh, we're working with TPL now to activate schoolyards. How many of our schoolyards here are used as parks because they're close by? That's great. We love that. We're all about it, how we can partner with the school district. <coughs> our partners at uh, Land Trust, how much role can those lands play? Absolutely a ton. National Park Service. So the answer is it varies all over the place. But the goal is to have walkability within reason. We have very flat horizontal areas when you get out in East Brainerd. Uh, you know, that, that ship or that horse has left the barn. You're going to figure out different solutions. But as we think about how our city grows and and vocabulary matters, um, if we want to have growth that we can sustain, we have to think about a city that's gentle. Uh, We have to think about gentle density. We have to think about soft edges and the way that we build a place where you feel comfortable moving between those spaces by bike or by car. We have a great partnership uh, with planning. And I think folks know that that Dan uh, and his planning shops now doing plan chat, the first comprehensive plan for the city, which is a fantastic plan. Parks are totally integrated into that. And as far as I know, it's the first time for planning in Chattanooga that's happened. Greenways are totally integrated into that. Um, and we're finding in the feedback Dan's hearing back, and I'm seeing some of the surveys come back, because people are saying they want those green spaces. Um, and they're saying green spaces super high. Because uh, surprise, surprise, you don't move to Chattanooga for stuff other than green spaces. Just, well, you know, you move here for that. So we're, we're beginning to get that going. And I, I'm optimistic. I'll also say, I think to do it well, we want to acknowledge that paint is not infrastructure. You can stripe bike lanes. You can stripe things. Those are fine. In my line of work of parks, I'm far more interested in greenways. I'm far more interested in functional, safe sidewalks that allow you to feel safe with a five-year-old and a three-year-old with you moving Mm -hmm. from your house to the park. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a little different lane than some of the mobility folks. Um, We're all in the same family, but you're going to see me be far more interested in the, the river walks, the South Chick Trails, the Alton Park Connectors. Um, the guild trails, because that's how I move my customers and my guests around throughout the city. So 
that question set us up perfectly. We're starting to talk about breaking down silos again. We're starting to get back to the idea of a city in a park. Yeah. And so I want to come back to that phrase you used earlier, national park city. Yeah. And just start with what is that? And you spent time as a, as a national park serviceman. Is there any relation between a national park city and the national park service? There is no connection, which is unfortunate <laughs> for the terminology because everyone's confused. So here's the story. <laughs> Here's the story. So um, this guy, Daniel Raven Ellison, if, if folks aren't following him on Twitter, you should. He's a National Geographic Explorer. And what's interesting is he's the only urban National Geographic Explorer. And it's a big deal to be a National Geographic Explorer. I mean, that is Attenborough. That's Shackleton. I mean, that's the group, okay? He's the only urban one, which is wild for National Geographic because 70% of us live in cities. And they only have one person who's focused on what, how we live in these spaces. Um, but that's where that's where the energy is. So... He was, I think he was having his moment too and, and, and said, you know, we've been doing city planning, I'm using air quotes, and we've done, you know, the garden city, we've done all sorts of stuff. But if we step back, have we fundamentally made it better? Have we fundamentally made a difference? And I think if any of us are being honest with ourselves, the 2 a.m. thought is, are we making it better? Because you can look around and you can find, no, it feels distressing. And, and cities are hard. They can be hard on people. They're hard to live in. They, we know what they do to stress levels. We know what they do. Yet we have to live in them. So he came up with this idea of the National Park City, where let's let's not put nature over here in Yellowstone and then people over here. Let's appreciate the nature that shares spaces with us in these cities and mm-hmm. create the concept. London became the first National Park City in 2018, which was crazy. So I had time to spend with Daniel, and, and I'm there with him going around. I'm like, what the, the hell is this National Park City? It's nuts. But the breakthrough for me is he says to me, the parks are not places we go to. Parks are what we inhabit. And and that helped me because then, he, then I'm, you're walking around and, and I go, okay, so we're walking by a five-story building and it points out these planters up there. And he goes, those are planters on someone's porch. I said, yeah, yeah, whatever. He goes, what if they were pollinator planters? What if the folks in those porches selected that? Oh, walk by another building. He goes, you see that up there? There's little holes in these roofs. I go, what are those for? He goes, the architect built those in because those are nesting spots for sparrows. Suddenly the building became habitat. Walk around the next corner. It's a community garden with Nepalese, Singalese, uh, regular old Brits, all gardening together. He goes, you know what that is? I say, yeah, it's community garden. He goes, no, 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 no. That's neighborhood because people are getting their hands dirty and they're authentically digging in and communicating with each other. And that was the breakthrough of celebrating our cities as these intentional places that should be delightful, to be fun, to celebrate not to try to just manage and deal with and work around, but really try to shape to serve us and work for us. And the National Park Cities is all about that. And it's about a really a bigger idea, which is, and this is in the clouds, but I think we got to, I think we, Americans, we pull ourselves out of the clouds so damn quickly to be so tactical. I, I want to push us into the clouds for a second. If we, the quote is, if we wait for government to solve our problems, it's going to be too long. And if we do it as individuals, it won't be enough. But if we do it together, maybe it's just enough. And that's the idea of National Park Cities, is you take the best of individualism, take the best of each community in government and, and help shape that, but have us all determine how our community is lived in. Adelaide became the next National Park City in 2021, Adelaide, Australia. And they celebrate their Aboriginal communities and their cultures there. Um, and Adelaide's a mid-sized city, a million people. Um, and then we had the idea about Chattanooga being a National Park City. So... I was enamored with this idea. I took the job here in chat. And, and I'll say this. If you come into chat on 24 and you don't feel the presence of this town, like hit you, like come in around Moxon Bend. I mean, this city sits on your soul. And and for folks that doesn't, I, you're missing it. There's a 
there's something on this landscape. <coughs> so we pitched the idea to National Geographic. How about Chattanooga is a national park city? And lo and behold, they took a look and said, it makes perfect sense. You guys have everything. Music, art, culture, sport, ecology, history. You have it all. You're in the Southern Appalachians. You're in the most biologically diverse community in North America. And what was really fun, because I'm kind of a Southern jerk, was to watch the knuckleheads in Boulder and San Francisco and Vancouver go, what are those What are those rednecks doing down there? To go, nanner, 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 we have more than you. <laughs> and National Geographic, bought, they bought into it. They said, Chattanooga, you do have all the right pieces. Now, you're not as big as these other cities. But the point isn't bigger. The point is, what do you have that's special? And then the challenge for us that we're working on right now is National Park Cities is not some movement that comes in. It's about celebrating your local authentic community. And you create that through your own charter about what you want to celebrate. So we're, our community is starting to write our charter about what our National Park City Charter would be, what we think it should mean to live here. And then that would be taken up and elevated and ultimately up for review to be uh, recognized as a, national, as a National Park City and the first in North America um, and the third in the globe. Now, we are chasing uh, a couple of our cities. Uh, for that third spot, as it would be, Rotterdam is up, Glasgow's up, Southampton, um, and I always forget one, Utrecht's up, um, but we're the only ones in North America. And it got really heavy for me. Again, I was at a conference and there was an Aboriginal elder there, and he was talking about um, what it means to be a national park city in Adelaide and how important it is to, to his people to be celebrated and have their homelands uh, honored and have, as he calls it, white faces understand the specialness of this place. And he says to me as a side, he goes, you know, we're, uh, my community, we've been reading the works of Martin Luther King lately as we think about what justice means. And um, we were reading the speech from the Lincoln Memorial, and he says, Lookout Mountain, is that you? And, and you want to feel weight hit. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that is us. And he looks at me just as dry as anything. He goes, well, well you have to be a national park city then. You're <laughs> writing the story. And, and I think that was an important moment to hear from someone else is what we have here in Chattanooga is so extraordinarily special. We are not anywhere USA. We are we are not nowheresville. And the decisions we make here, they actually do matter more here than they would other places. And reaching back to our past and reaching to our future and find the strength here to celebrate it uh, allows us to do some pretty important things in terms of being healthier. We are one of the least fit cities in the nation. In terms of being more connected to one another, we have violence in, in this community that's at, epidemic proportions. That's solvable. We have ecology under threat with mass extinctions. I don't have to tell you about the emerald ash borer and what's doing ash trees around town now. People see the changes. These are all things that we are at the we're at the epicenter of. We I'm not gonna tell you parks solve everything because they don't, but man, they set the groundwork mm-hmm. for it. And then if we take the National Park City thing, we start saying we're all part of this. We're all connected. And we figured out ourselves the Chattanooga way, no one else's way. We figured out the Chattanooga way around our unique strengths, our unique attributes, our unique place. We don't have to bring something in from somewhere else. I kind of like where that leaves us. And, and it just feels right for this moment that we're in. And it feels aspirational and hopeful. Um, and it's a big freaking tent where everyone has a role to play. So you said we're in the middle of that charter writing process, mm-hmm. trying to get this thing off the ground and then it'll go to the committee to, you know, take us to the next step. Yeah. <clears throat> How do people get involved with that? How do people see the charter, sure. understand it and, and get involved in, in putting their own fingerprints on it? So I got to be telling everybody it's the worst secret out there because we did make the announcement. Uh, we've got nominated back in late October, November. And since then we've got a very, um, 
pretty diverse committee that we've been working with. And and this isn't just a government thing either, too. This is, you know, when you think about Chattanooga, we have over 500 nonprofits that are in the city of Chattanooga. We're all doing absolutely wonderful things, but we're sort of individualized there. This gives us an opportunity for a group to come together and say, this is what we're doing together, sharing the ideas. You know, great that Tennessee Aquarium is part of this and they're releasing sturgeons and into the Tennessee River. Crabtree Farms is, you know, one of a community farm, but also serving uh, local areas too. And so able to share those particular ideas. And so that group has been helping us write the charter uh, and trying to get that, again, as Scott mentioned, that voice. And what we have been doing is asking people to join the journey. And then go to the website, which is ChattanoogaNationalParkCity.org. It's long, but it's easy. ChattanoogaNationalParkCity.org. And they can sign up for that charter. Um, they can sign up. We have kind of right now, we're using the National Park City Foundations Charter as we write ours. But we're going to have a new website coming out pretty soon. Same URL, but new look to it. And it'll have a chance for people to actually uh, put some of their words into it as well. So this charter will almost always be evolving. It'll be a a pretty static one, but there will also be one that's evolving as we have community input. And then also one of the goals, too, is to have really about 100 events or shared events over the next several months. And that is like this next weekend, we're going to be hanging out with the Chattanooga Zoo, who's jumped on board with us as well. And it's sharing that word and, and getting people to think, getting builders to think, getting the local coffee shop to think, getting our individuals to think. And again, that's going back into supporting your your park, supporting environmental movement, supporting your culture, your local public arts, all this is part of it as well. So you can go to the website, read a little bit more about how this movement has been shaping Adelaide, how it's been shaping London, and how we hope to shape it here. Uh, and, you know, and sign and sign up. We'll start giving a little bit more communication uh, as we continue to uh, move forward. And hopefully, Want to be adopted here by October of next of this year. So hopefully there'll be a big celebration for for that. But right now we're looking at trying to garner about five thousand signatures. We almost got a thousand now, and we haven't really even marketed this in a big way yet. So that's coming here probably within the next month of uh, seeing a lot more marketing uh, coming out. You'll see teal colors everywhere as well. So um, those are pretty much the next steps. And then as we get the charter, as we get the uh, overall signatures, we do some of the events. One thing that the committee is going to do is they're going to come back to Chattanooga and kind of ask around without us knowing, going, have you heard about the National Park City Movement? What does this mean to you? And and they're going to kind of judge the temperature here of, of what the community feels um, that a National Park City means to them. And and then I always kind of see examples that are out there. Scott mentioned uh, the, the planter with pollinator gardens. As we're looking to put more and more pollinator gardens in medians that are in streets, Warner Park parking lot was a big flooded area. And now we're putting pollinator gardens there into some of the parking lot areas and, and the education that goes along. We don't have to be the only ones that do that. Local businesses can do that. Uh, I like to use the example of uh, East Brainerd and Heritage Park. Heritage Park, beautiful place. Right around it, they're building a massive subdivision. People got to live somewhere. But the builder came out to us and said, how can I connect my subdivision with Heritage Park? And in between, Mackey Creek there, we can't build on it. It wasn't our land. Technically, he owned it. And he said, can I build a trails that go from my neighborhood that connects to Heritage Park? It'll ease in parking. It helps promote his his subdivision just as much as it helps promote our park as well. And hopefully some more and more of those ideas will come out as we continue to build. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with throwing in a few extra trees as we build apartments and, and, and think ahead or more trees as we add to the roads and so on and so forth. So it's a community-led uh, initiative just as much as it is a nonprofit-led, as much as it is government-led as well. Mm. That's really exciting. Um, 
So I'll put all those links in the show notes for everybody yeah. listening. Uh, I want to transition, and and these things probably are meshed together pretty well, but y'all fairly recently, I think it was a few months ago, released the Parks and Outdoors plan, the POP. Um, and it was the first comprehensive plan that Chattanooga has had in 25 years, yeah, maybe yeah. more. So let's talk a little bit about that and maybe how that meshes together Maybe not explicitly, but implicitly with the National Park City goals. Sure. Um, you, well, you, you know, write the plan, work the plan sort of stuff. So it's all about having measurable, deliverable, systemic approaches to it. So the POPs adopted. It had three recommendations from the jump. Number one, uh, appoint a Parks and Outdoors Advisory Committee. That's now done. Um, we have a 15-member advisory committee um, up for council adop- uh, consideration next week. I'm sure by the time this runs, they will have been appointed. What that group is going to do is empower citizens to be more involved, more engaged, and overseeing, managing, helping us steward these public parks. Second step is it said very quickly, base your budget around the parks and outdoors plan. Budgeting should not be a surprise each year in local government or a point where you just go, hey, we're going to do this this year and we'll do something else next year. We have a plan now that says we need to add 11 maintenance positions to improve the conditions of our parks. We know our parks are a a C-plus right now in condition. We have a a budgeting plan to bring us up to a B-plus. So we have a rigid system that we can now deploy to make budget proposals to council and the mayor so they know what they're investing in and then hold ourselves accountable to deliver those results. And then third, it said, go ahead and adopt the National Park City and pursue National Park City designation, which is underway as well. And the goal there is to get every resident, every community uh, more engaged with their green spaces and their outdoors. So those were the three big thrusts that we began. There was a fourth uh, 3.5, as it would be, which said start doing the urban ecology preserves by using existing city lands, and we've started that as well. So those are kind of the steps that are underway right now. There's a bigger question um, that we're that, that is time to talk about, which is how do we develop a financial model to support increased investments and stewardship in, in Chattanooga's green spaces? The residents and citizens of this community have uh, have control of that, and we have to have that conversation. And we have not had this conversation in Chattanooga. We've been very lucky. We've had philanthropic partners come in many, many years and build some things that have been wonderful. The new way of doing this is we're going to have to look at ourselves and figure out ways to fund it ourselves. Um, and this community's, I think, prime for that conversation about what investments do we want to do, how much ground do we want to make up for the deficits we have to face now, and what sort of community we want to leave in the future. The POP gives us a roadmap that gives us predictability, stability, um, and expectations on how to achieve that. I'm going to add throw in something there, but almost even ask and direct a question back to Scott, too. I think one thing that makes me proud when reading (coughs) the pop and the ideas behind it is, you know, lots of times we can add some big, beautiful new parks. And there's some goals there that we would like to see uh, when you start thinking of the Montagues and and what we want to do with maybe redesigning downtown. But the way that this addresses the local park and putting that forward and, and on almost foremost, um, don't see that very often. So it's getting all of the parks, the existing parks that we have up to the quality that everyone deserves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big part of yeah. this plan that makes me proud that should make the citizens proud as well, that their local park, you know, we understand there are some things that need to be addressed. There are some things that we want to make sure that they're elevated. Um, one of the the parks that we saw that you know could probably use uh, a little bit more love. Let's just go with Boulevard Park. You know, recently we've been planting almost 200 trees. We did so on a very snowy, rainy MLK day. You know, miserable weather and had what 12, 15 people coming out there. And on top of that, absolutely wonderful donation from Playcore to put in a brand new playground down at Boulevard Park, and it's right outside of Rossville and 
you know, we said these are things that we can do. These are things that a private-public partnership can do as well to elevate local parks because those are just as important as tweaking and fixing and, you know, adding more to Coolidge Park or, or bringing forth a Montague Park. Mm-hmm. So looking at the current pop plan, what are kind of the major steps we're going to have to take to implement the current plan? And then this is the first plan that we've had in 25 years. What does it look like timeline before we update this plan again? I'm, I'm assuming just based on the energy in this room, it's not going to be another 25 years before we go through this process again. No, no. Um, my experience, and I've always been taught you do these things every 10 years. Now, you may do a move, big new vision about every 20, but every 10 years, you're going to update on where you are because you got to change. you got to follow trends. you got to make – you adapt and you move. So this just becomes a routine thing like doing your laundry at home. Um, with deliverable things. The key is <clears throat> it can't be a plan that sits on a shelf. Um, plan is a four-letter word for good reason. It has to be an action plan. So when you go back to it, the good thing, if you're doing it right, is you have these red lines that show things you got done. You got yellow lines of things that, because the community changed, you don't need to do anymore. And you got green lines, which is new stuff. So you're always going to follow that evolving process. <clears throat> the um, the thing about the POP that I'm, I'm most proud of and I think is foundational um, is it builds on a plan from 1913. It builds on the John Nolan Park Plan for Chattanooga. From 1913, that plan had the legs that we were able to build a plan in 2023 to sit on. Deploying equity more thoughtfully, deploying equality, deploying ecology in some ways that obviously they didn't do in 1913. But to build on that and have that landscape gives us a firm foundation. So the updates will come, actually will all point back to 1913 on some level. And that's just how you do great parks. If you go to any great old city, uh, you're going to find that. That's what makes... New York so great for Central and Prospect um, and, the, and the parkways or San Francisco with Golden Gate Park. Um, the ability to connect sustained development over time. But it doesn't wait. <coughs> Staff is working now because uh, interests change. We just built pickleball courts at Batter's Place. Um, we're going to be doing more work on, on taking sports complexes. And we've got a, a shortage of 17 soccer fields. Um, we've got to do more for aging population. We're getting older faster than most cities in the U.S. So how do we serve aging? Uh, we're going to talk a lot about that. So there's all sorts of evolutions and, and nuances within it. But the foundation is the land and great green spaces that then allow you to program and come on top mm-hmm. of that. So I want to spend some time talking about the Parks and Outdoors Advisory Committee. Uh, just some basic questions to start out. How many people are on that committee? Sure. There are 15 residents on the committee. Uh, one youth member, 14 appointed by mayor and council, one for each district. They are an advisory committee providing advice and, and, and direction to council. And they're really set up to do a couple things. One, formulate and help us have better connections with the districts and the people we serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, these committee members are going to go to work in their specific districts and connect us with those neighborhoods when park projects, programming is coming along. Number two is we want uh, better and deeper and richer pauses with leaders in the community. I'm lucky if I have a park agenda item and get three minutes with council because of everything they've got on their plate. That's not always a good model for good governance. You need a group who has a laser focus and can take time and spend time on these items and help us refine, you know, policies, procedures, and designs in a way that authentically represents Chattanooga. And number three, um, this is a firewall. Um, The city elected um, a few years ago, I think folks know this, uh, to take Parks and Rec and, and frack it up in a, a few different places. 
Um, I'm hopeful, and this is me advocating it and owning this, that this committee prevents that from happening again. I don't think this department should ever be touched again um, because you lose the ability to shape the community. So they are intended to advocate and be the voice and be visible mm -hmm. uh, leaders uh, advocating for the specialness that is uh, Chattanooga's green system of green spaces. Mm -hmm. So how are these folks chosen? You said there's one representative for each council uh -huh. district. So I'm guessing, does city council choose those directly, each representative? Uh, yeah. Or yeah, we they have input from you? That's or? a great, no, no, no input from me. Um, we were, I was blown away. So we advertised for it. You know, you advertise for a, a city board and that's always fun because you go, hey, how would you like to come to night meetings? It'll be great <laughs> as a volunteer. We had over 180 applicants to be on this committee. We have never seen that many Chattanoogans, I'm told, reach out to be on a public board in the history of the city. Usually you're desperate. You're amazing. trying to yeah. get people. 180 people. It's unbelievable. I wish we had a place to put them all. And the depth of experience, it's just, it was overwhelming. The, the lived experiences and the narratives and the letters we got about why they wanted to be on it. It was a wonderful deal. So each council member had theirs packaged and, and they, they selected their members and the mayor had to select his five as well. And, and I can tell you, I, <clears throat> some council members interviewed their finalists, put, put their people through interviews. Uh, the mayor put people through interviews. So there was a degree of thoughtfulness in this that I hadn't seen before. And that's how we got to the selection. It's really, <coughs> pardon me, it's really important, too, I think, to have a youth member. Uh, we have a youth member on this because who the parks we're building for? A lot of times we're just building them for the future. So we always want to have that voice that's paying it forward in our eyes as well as part of that. And, and I'm really proud to see that voice on our committee as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I did an interview uh, six months to a year ago with Chris Anderson about boards and commissions. Yeah. And, and I sit on a couple of those boards. It's, you know, you volunteer, you set aside several hours and just discuss these very specific issues. And, and usually it is really hard to get people. I'm, I know when I did that interview with Chris, there were several boards where it's just like, we need people for, you know, sign appeals and pollution control board and all this kind of stuff. So it is really exciting to see that many people yeah. step up. Um, I'm curious what sort of, I don't know if qualifications is the right word, but it's what I'll go with. Where are you looking for in setting up this committee? What sorts of people, what sorts of backgrounds were you looking for? Uh, and what sort of, you know, diversity did mm -hmm. you want to hit? What, what sort of goals and metrics did you have? Yeah. Going into this process. You didn't have metrics, but you always want a board that looks like the people it serves. So you want to have a board that looks like Chattanooga, which we did. And then we had the cheesiest one of all is the most, and I also think the most important, we, we wanted to see that they love the city and they love the people that live in the city. Um, architects are great. Technic, technical people are great. Well, we got a whole office full of technical people. What we want are folks with a deep passion and had a deep abiding love for this place and were rooted mm -hmm. and grounded here. Um, and, and woke up thinking about that. So it was really fun to do that. The next thing I, we're doing with them, now I'm going to make the total nerds jealous. Um, we're very lucky. Mitchell Silver, who we had here for Civic last year, was a former park commissioner in New York City, has volunteered. And is going to come back here. <clears throat> he's going to spend a whole day, and he's going to guide orientation and training for the park oh, wow. commissioner. And you're talking about the guy who sat in Frederick Olmsted's chair. Uh, he, he's, he sat in Robert Moses' chair. <laughs> is coming to teach our, our committee members what does it mean to be a park committee member. And our staff's going to sit in, too, because he wants everyone to hear. <clears throat> this is sacred work. And if we do it well, we elevate beyond ourselves. And, and we get into that city-shaping space. And he had such an Im impactful experience when he was here for Civic last year. He said, I have to come back and train this committee because your landscape is simply spectacular. Your people are spectacular. I want to help you. 
So yeah, so the New York Commission, the former New York Park Commissioner is going to train us um, as a team and set us up so we can start shaping the city as a team together. So it sounds like the goal here was to find first people who are passionate and then educate them oh, yeah. rather than find educated people. Yeah. And then hopefully they have passion because because a lot of the boards are more technically minded. I sit on the planning commission, which yeah. is is very technically minded for the most part. Same thing with historic zoning where it's just like you have to know a certain amount to make these decisions. Yes. Yeah. But I think this makes sense for what is trying to be done here. Find the passion first and then the education. Yeah. Do I know my neighborhood? Right. Man, it's hot here. Wow. <laughs> I wish we had clean bathrooms. Yeah. This is yeah. fundamental stuff that we want to make sure we, we, we hit the ball out of the park on. Yeah. That's really exciting. Um, I know we're a few days ahead of the actual confirmation, uh, but this probably will not release until after that. So I'm wondering if we can kind of walk through... Not specific names, but just highlight some backgrounds. You know, what kind of industries are people coming from? Uh, what sorts of neighborhoods are people coming from? Mm-hmm. Do we have older folks? I know we have a youth member. Uh, do we have parents of young kids or parents of kids who are out of the house? Like, what what does the makeup of this committee it, perspectively look like? The makeup of this committee looks like Chattanooga. Um, we have young families. We have senior citizens. Uh, we have young professionals. We have blue-collar workers. We have coaches. We have architects. I mean, this is just a smattering of, of who we are. Um, so it's a, a very eclectic group, um, but it's a group that, I, and I don't know all of them yet. There are a lot of them are new names, which I think is fun too, Yeah, because it's not the normal suspects. I mean, there are a lot of new names here. That was really interesting in the process as well as the 180 folks that applied is how many, and, <coughs> and when you get together with city leaders and they look at you and go, wow, I don't know these names. That's an, that's a good moment, yeah. Because those are folks that are that want to enter the process through a yeah. different lane than the traditional process. So you're going to see it's a diverse group. That's really exciting. <coughs> what are like what are these committee meetings actually going to look like? What are they going to be doing when they sit down for a few hours and and discuss parks and outdoors? What decisions are they going to be making? Yeah, ultimately they're advisory. So everything they do is, is a recommendation, but anything we're going to take to council, they're going to they're going to it's going to go through them first. So if we accept a park donation, if we do a park master plan, if we set new fees and charges, if we deliver a new program, all of these things are what we're going to ask the committee to weigh mm-hmm. into and, and help us you know, thumbs up, thumbs down, vote on it. So when we go to council, we're going with the full faith and credit of the parks advisory committee that says, yeah, we're, we're on board with this and we think this is a good idea. Instead of it just being knucklehead Scott in, in front of council going, well, I think this is smart because I'm smart. You know, that's stupid. <laughs> uh, we want to vet these things out and get more buy-in through the process. That's really exciting. Um, well, that's everything I've got that we want to talk about. I want to open it up. And if there's anything that we haven't covered or any websites or social media you want to share. Sure. Uh, you know, on my part there, it's, you know, Take a chance to look and see what is in front of you, that what Chattanooga has, what programs are available, what's affordable, where where can I go and do water fitness? I mean, our two indoor pools are, are you know, packed with people that are taking free water fitness classes. Our Chattanooga Fitness Center and, you know, the yoga classes, are all these programs are out there and they're available. And, you know, the more people know what's out there, what's available, what they can go to and see. Uh, most people don't know we have 80 parks. They think we have maybe 20 parks, which is good. And we've got some really great notable parks. But, you know, 
our website. We've we've got our website, chattanooga.gov slash parks. Not the prettiest thing in the world. We're working on that, too, overall with the city, but still gives you an idea of where some of these beautiful trails are, where some of these beautiful parks are, what's available in your local park. Also, too, you know, I've tried my best to open this up to try to be a little bit more transparent. And there's going to be some things out there that maybe need to be addressed. Let us know. Um, you know, we wish we had 300 staff to go out and cover everything. And sometimes there's going to be something that might be broken, a tree branch, something. So opening up that line of communication is great so that we can get out there and address it. We did, I think, over 1,400 work orders last year. We got an 83% uh, on time work order. Uh, and those numbers are fantastic. But that's also a lot of the community just saying, letting us know. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, we're here for that as well. But also, too, just, you know, respecting the parks, um, you know, be thankful of, of what we have. I mean, litter by just taking it and putting it in the trash can could go a very long way. But I just kind of encourage people, you know, check out, um, you know, Outdoor Chattanooga, the amount of programs that they have. If, you know, these magazines show the absolute fittest person that's on the cover of the magazine rock climbing somewhere, that's not, you know, 90% of us. But there are a lot of people out there that want to learn how to mountain bike, that want to learn how to rock climb, but don't know where to go. We've got great organizations that have great equipment, but may not really know what to do with it. So, you know, look and see what Outdoor Chattanooga has to offer as far as learning how to mountain bike, learn how to climb, learn how to kayak, learn how to, you know, canoe, so on and so forth. Uh, get your son, your daughter, and some of the sports programs that we have to, to offer. You know, get them out of the house as well. Um, you know, we're not, you know, don't just think of parks as a green space. Parks are your ballparks, your ball fields, your basketball courts, your pickleball courts, all that as well. And we're proud to be able to offer that as a city. And, you know, the city is doing that for its people. And that's where taxes are going to as well, is a way of us giving back. And then our special events. Cannot thank our special events department enough for helping create events like the chat down, cool down, the, the New Year's Eve celebration. I mean, we put that on very first time thinking maybe a couple of thousand people will come out to it. We had 8,400 people come out to New Year's Eve. They came to downtown Chattanooga on New Year's Eve, you know, and great bands. And it's like, we can do this. No problems whatsoever. Thanks to everyone that helped out with that. But, you know, getting out and embracing what Chattanooga has to offer. That's part of the National Park City movement. That's part of enjoying your city in a park. And that's part of just taking advantage of what the city is providing. Perfect? No, we're not perfect. But do we have a lot of great things to be able to offer? Yes, and we can get perfect by having committees, by having people support their parks, being involved, and and embracing. That's myself. And everything's on social media as well. So if you on any of the the ones that are out there, from the Facebooks to TikToks, just look up Chattanooga Parks and Outdoors. We're on there, and we've seen tremendous. And, and I will say this: um, you know, the social media side of things, it's it's the thing we all use now. Uh, we started it pretty much over again back in uh, the summer, late summer of 2022. And we're pushing, what, 21,000 people that are on there. Probably one of the fastest growing parks and outdoor social media platforms out there. And just don't want to pat myself on the back, but that's people, number one, sharing their stories. I, I put a request out. Just y'all post some pictures of you guys getting engaged in, in parks. Oh, like 40, 50 pictures that people just sent in our proposals and first dates in our parks. It's amazing that people are sharing and and liking and, and, and engaging with each other because they enjoy what Chattanooga has to offer. And that's not cool promotion. That's people promoting what we already have. All I do is take pictures and post. So, <laughs> you know, it's a great way to share ideas, see what's going on and, and take advantage of, of what's out there. So... It doesn't hurt when you have the best comms guy in the nation doing parks. So. <laughs> it's kind of 
Cheap. You guys realize he is sick today, right? <laughs> but, but that's my, I mean, you know, one thing out of the Pops plan, too, is that, you know, we, we saw where we rated ourselves, but there was another part of the Parks plan, too, that just said we had a lack of information. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know where things were and what to do and so forth. And, you know, no pressure to whoever they hired to come in and do the comms, but that's one thing I wanted to address is getting that information out and sharing. You know, we, you know, we have still have a long ways to go with signage and information that's out in our parks, and we're working on all that as well. But you know, sharing that information with your friends and, and going out and trying things—you know—that was a big lack before. And hopefully, now we're starting to get that word out a little bit more that there are people that now are in the city that care about the parks. We're doing everything we possibly can, and you're also seeing through events and social platforms that your citizens care too, and that's that speaks volumes. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. Find more civic resources at chattanoogacivics.com. Chattanooga Civics is a member of the Podnooga Network. To find more great podcasts from local creators, find Podnooga on Facebook and Instagram or on the web at podnooganetwork.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnooga Network.